Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and to share our members' stories. Welcome in, everybody, to a new episode of Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. This week, I'm on location at headquarters. We're gearing up for convention. We're four weeks away. And while I'm here, I got to catch up with my good buddy, Nathaniel Maddox. Uh, We're talking about cinematography, filming, projects going on, uh, convention, what we're looking forward to there. We do all that and more in 90 seconds. Let's go. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Berg. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear, from fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. I'm jealous you're Mike. You got a cool kid, Mike. This is, uh, I don't know. I used to have a little recording studio. I thought I was going to be an audio engineer. Yeah. So I had some really nice mics at one point and some of them are still hanging around. This thing is pretty it nice. It is nice. It's much cooler looking than, uh, than mine, which I thought was kind of cool. And until I saw yours, I like it. <laughs> I like it, man. <laughs> Our things. Things are all right, man. I'm kind of coming off of a, I don't know what it is. Some kind of little, sick thing the kids got it too so they're coming off of it hopefully shelby hasn't got it yet i think everyone a lot of people have kind of been getting some everyone's enjoying what's going around the planet yeah there's also the covid (laughs) yeah there's that (laughs) golly days um so we gotta jump here 12 45 actually our uh our uh chapter president has covid so now we're we're canceled for the day. Yeah, so we'll just go. We're good. Right, cool. We're good. Well, we're going now. So we're just going to keep going. Love yeah. It. yeah. Holidays. Good. Holidays. We're good. We're, uh, trying to, um, catch up on some things, which December always seems to be a, a time to do that and plan for this year, figure out what kind of opportunities are in front of us. So that's been, it's been a fun season to do that. And now we're, we're sort of back in a, groove of being all over the place yeah. so i'm the only one here today everyone else is out filming stuff 
So well, we're going to see you in Nashville here in pretty quick order. What's uh, what's on the yeah. docket for, for you guys at Slate Glass? I mean, you're full, full yeah. on busy. I know we're going to have you on the podcast for a little bit. Uh, what? what we're going to be doing at convention. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's a good question. I know Brian has some things in mind. We, we had planned on putting together some content for really a celebration next year of the uh, 50th convention. Yeah. And so um, thinking through what kind of messages we can convey and, and how to tell some stories that will resonate with people and, I want to find some people that have been there for 50 years. I'm sure there's a few guys that have and gals who've been there since. The yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen them, those, uh, those folks that uh, it's almost like people that go to the Olympics and they got their vests with all their commemorative pins. And it's like, you can do a whole person's, you know, convention lineage just by looking at their, their vest, their motorcycle vest or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, all the Turkey spurs that are, yeah. that are attached to the yeah, yeah. stuff. It's a colorful group for sure. We got so last. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say last year, one of uh, the guys that works with us couldn't make it to convention, and I texted him. I said, "Just got to Nashville," and he says, "Text me a photo of the first guy you see wearing a mossy oak suit jacket and a spurt and a turkey spurred necklace." How long that take? One very long. I don't know. Thirty yeah, seconds. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh man, we uh we got you and and Connor coming to sit for for a half an hour on Thursday which is pretty cool so after yeah. lunch and uh we're gonna talk to Connor about the road we don't we uh yep. we're involved with that you want to talk about that a little bit give the audience a little teaser on it and what what came of that project and then who Connor is to you yeah so uh actually we first got connected with NWTF on a working relationship through a series that I created in 2013 or 14 called undivided. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the idea behind that was, uh, all of us spending time together in the outdoors or there are no divisions. We can put away the political arguments and the other stuff for in God's creation together. And so, uh, NWTF was one of the first companies to come along. One of the first, I guess, brands to come along and say, Hey, we believe in what you're doing. We want to support this and became part of it. And as our agency has progressed, it's been tough for me to, to do all the projects that we've done for so many years. And so I decided we were going to put undivided away last year. Um, and Connor, who's a young guy who came onto our team, uh, two years ago, he, uh, he didn't like to see that happen. He really loved the idea of having multiple brands working together on a series and, you know, hitting the road and introducing people to different experiences. And so I said, all right, buddy, if you want to develop some skills here <laughs> as a new guy on our team, you put together a yeah. plan. And, uh, and so he did, he went and put together this idea called the road and he brings a completely different uh, perspective to our team because he is a college age guy. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was a college age guy, but now I look back at time is gone. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm in my late thirties and I realized the uh, chasm between me and that age has widened. So up um, here it has it. Anyway. I still feel yeah. like, you know, I can roll in there and Hey, let's throw it down. But clearly, um, no, right. no. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, those guys, uh, are, they love stuff like the hunting public and all the different things on YouTube that, that are not as 
shiny and polished production wise, but have a lot of that rawness to it. And so anyway, this idea of the road is him and his buddies who they all grew up here in, in Lebanon, Missouri. And you know, outside of a couple family vacations, haven't seen the country yet. And so they love to hunt, have loved to hunt for a long time. And they're just basically hopping in Connor's old truck and going and finding opportunities in public land areas or whatever, and buying over the counter tags and uh, doing it on the cheap. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's really cool. They just wrapped up the last, uh, the last of the seven films, I think. And uh, so partnered with, NWTF and Stanley Thermos and Niangua Coffee for that. And we're just going to be putting those things out over the next couple months. Yeah, yeah. So the first, yeah, the first one's just, I guess, released a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so. That's going to be good, man. And that's the timing's right, obviously, to get, you know, all fired up. Conventions coming. Spring seasons are pretty quick thereafter in the South. So, um, you know, what better way to get, to get dialed in, you know, you know, uh, excitement wise right and to sit down and enjoy some of those films uh especially where they're highlighting the accessibility you know everybody can just go out there and, and replicate what they're doing i think that's part of the attraction for people that you know that that you know will will sit there and devote time and become fans of of these films the stuff you guys are putting out is it's the accessibility it's not like this lofty thing that's that's out there on a hundred thousand dollar TV show or something like that. Like, oh, I'll never be able to, to do that. But this stuff is, has kind of changed, has changed that game for so many. And uh, I think the education, uh, whether it's a purposeful intent or a byproduct of, of these, these kind of films is that, you know, there's an education to that as well. And people are like, okay, if I just, if I can allocate some resources and move something around here and, and be smart with, you know, vacation time in my calendar, I, I can achieve this too. I, I can do this. Um, and that's cool. I mean, let's face it. Um, most of us, you know, stomp around the same dirt during the spring. It, it, I, I don't know if it, I guess it depends on your level of success, right? If you're successful every year, your same haunts, they can get kind of dull. Cause you kind of already know what's going to go down. I mean, I, to that point, I don't even roost birds in New Hampshire. I just know they're perennially going to be there. I know where they're going to go. I know what their habits are. It's still a challenge, um, more so dodging other hunters, but you know, when you get to go out and explore brand new, you know, to you virgin territory, that's, that's, that's exhilarating. That's, that's what it's like, okay, this is, this is why I started doing what I do. And well, yeah, it's and it's interesting for those guys too because they come back with uh, takeaways that I wouldn't have expected. So, you know, they go they go to uh, Nebraska and look for mule deer in the sand hills, and they come back and they're like, "Man, we saw the like world's largest corn ear of corn or some crap." I don't know, you know. And they're, I mean, they've never been through that part of the country. Most um, haven't. Some of these kids, and so yeah, so they're they're like soaking up the cultural experiences as much as anything. And, uh, you know, go to a gas station and be like, Hey, they have this gas station out in wherever South Dakota. And they got this bison jerky and we brought some back. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's more than hunting for, for me, I could probably go off on a tangent about it, Do but it. you know, I've got a, we've got a tape room here at our studio and, and 
it's full of VHS tapes from the nineties and the eighties. And we've been transferring all this stuff to digital because we've been incorporating a lot of history into some of our films. And so in this tape room, I've got stacks of VHS tapes that I watched, uh, you know, growing up in the nineties, uh, watched TNN outdoors and watched all of those different things. And so, you know, I'm used to the first, the first thing I saw on TV, that was a hunting show. I remember the guy, <clears throat> I'm not going to name names, but, uh, he was, you know, up in this tree stand talking about all the work they had done on this hunt. And here comes like five or six bucks and they're all way bigger than any deer I ever saw here in the Ozarks. Right. And he just picks one and he shoots it. And, you know, I'm going, man, what am I doing wrong? Like I've been sitting in a tree stand. I'm like 12 years old, 11 years old. I'm sitting in a tree stand with this little bow and I don't see these deer. Uh, well, later on down the road, it come to find out this guy had been hunting high fences this whole time and <laughs> telling people it wasn't because that was part of that sure. culture at the time. No one's going to find right. out. But the implications of that on a young viewer is these guys are all doing it right. And I'm doing something wrong. And so that could have totally made me just feel could have just turned you off completely. Turned me off to it. Right. Right. It could have been like, man, I'm just not going to do this. I mean, the, the fortunate thing was I wanted to be out in the woods. And so I, whether I saw a button buck or whatever, I was just going to go. But the cool thing about what Connor's doing and what a lot of folks are doing right now is like with the series, the road, they don't have a bunch of, big trophies that they're piling up here. I mean, but the content is yeah. great. And so it's accessible, like you said, and it's also encouraging to, to remind some, you know, young viewer or old viewer, any of us that look at it and go, man, maybe, maybe I want to try that. Maybe I want to jump in my truck and go to Colorado and buy a elk tag. It, it allows them to see the reality of it and the joy in the reality of it, which isn't necessarily always connected with hauling, you know, a big rack back home with you. So, you know, sometimes it's just as fun to come home with your friends with some good photos and some good memories. I love the storytelling aspect. I mean, we, you and I have talked about it. We've shared uh, some camps here recently for another series uh, you guys have teamed up with NWTF on. And, you know, it's, we live in a, in a really unique time of recorded history. What That's what we're doing here and right now, presently, mm -hmm. as I sit here in the NWTF headquarters building. Um, we're, we're making history, we're recording history. And as long as the lights are on and the gerbil keeps running on his, on his wheel, I mean, this stuff's going to live out in wherever it lives in perpetuity forever. When I walk around this building and I think of guys like you and some of our other friends like AJ DeRosa and, and some of these great storytellers, like, I don't want to get like all kitschy on it, but I mean, that, that means so much to me because it's such an important legacy and history to tell them quite frankly uh, we've done a pretty bad job of it but we're changing mm -hmm. that people like you content creators like yourself that have this passion that put out a you know it's they're theatrical man they're it's art it's not just you know bumpkins going out sitting in tree stands or turkey blinds you know knocking something over I, I, any jerk can do that i think at this point the technology is available to you hell your phone you could put together quite a quite a feature um, but conveying that, that it's almost, um, golly days. It's like a, a anthropology, man. It's, it's like, mm -hmm. that's what you're doing. It's, and this will mean something to somebody 20 years down the line. And that's how I look at it. And again, I don't, I don't, I, I hate, like, I, I feel like I overstate some things sometimes, but in this case, I'm not. 
and, and I hope that somebody hears this, sees, you know, the video portion of this and it inspires them, you know, and then like, oh, I got to check out this dude, Nathaniel Maddox. I got to check out Slate Glass. And then all of a sudden, because of the technology that's available and everything is one click away. Now they're like, oh, this dude doesn't just do turkey films. This dude's working with, you know, today's country artists and he's done this and they start looking at your resume just by clicking and following links. And, you know, you find this depth to this, this individual, this human being that lives on the planet. And, you know, now you're, it's, I guess that's what happens with people at YouTube at two in the morning. They just keep hitting the sidebar. And <laughs> next thing you know, they got to go to work, but it's kind of the idea here. Like they only see certain people or certain organizations for a very surface idea, but they're so multi-leveled and there's so much history. Um, at, I don't know, man. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, what you're talking about as far as having to make up some ground for the storytelling bit and, and set a precedent for the future, I think is, is really important. Uh, I think there's been such a, a season in our industry and the hunting industry as a whole, where uh, it's been about, you know, well, I got, you know, I got turned off of, as much as I love to bow hunt and love whitetail hunting, I got turned off of mainstream whitetail stuff a few years ago because it just became about inches, yep, yep, right? Yep. And, 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 and there became a pretentiousness about it that I did just didn't like. And so we were, we've been about this ego driven piece of it. Not everyone, but I think that there's been a large po portion of the media and the content we've kicked out. That's been about that. Uh, and so now looking at, where we've been and what we've tried as an industry to draw people toward understanding at the minimum level, understanding what we do. Uh, we have to tell deeper stories and they have to have meaning to them and they have to, they have to really resonate with people across the board. Uh, and I, and not, that's not to say that someone who's completely anti-gun or anti, you know, killing an animal is going to see our stuff and go, wow, I could totally relate to that. But generally speaking, stories that transcend that my wife, who doesn't is uh, she hunts some, but she's not a hardcore hunter like I am. She can sit down and watch a piece of content we create and enjoy it. It doesn't have to be just for that hardcore hunter. And the hardcore hunter also enjoys it because it it resonates with him, you know, or her on a, on a deep level. But I think that that's what we are trying to do at Slate and Glass is uh, is find these stories and tell them in an honest way to try to cut the ego, cut the BS, cut all that stuff out and, uh, and really get to the heart of why, why we love to do what we love to do, you know, share those stories. I feel like some like states boards of tourism could reach out to you and use like half of your content and never see anything die because it's so visually pleasing and it's done in such a, a smart, creative way that, I mean, you really could, you could outsource this stuff and, you know, sell people on Missouri or Pennsylvania or, you know, wherever the hell you're at. Uh, Cause it's yeah. just, it's done so well. And that gets back to the creativity, the stylistic tendencies of the storytelling. Um, you know, when I think about, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, Ernest Hemingway writing down their thoughts and creating these, these great mm -hmm. novels, not very long ago, this was almost, I won't say it's, it was standard reading, but your average kid knew of these stories. Uh, and it was socially accepted and it wasn't, it wasn't focused solely on 
the killing, the harvesting, you know, however you want to term it. It was the adventure and these great adventures and these great stories of these far off lands or these far off seafaring adventures that, um, you know, they, again, it was almost like picking up, uh, I'm not equating them, but like picking up the Bible and reading this, this tenured history and you, you create these movies and images in your mind of what it must've been like. And, and now again, it's, it's accessibility. Uh, people have, you know, we don't have this, um, well, it's not so exaggerating when you don't have like two different classes of people. There is a strong middle class in our country that have resources. So uh, depending on how smart you are with your money, you can you can get these things that you can go on a boat and go up a river and do a backcountry trout fishing trip. Um, you can get in a rugged mobile as long as you put gas in it. You could tear across the country in, in April and May and chase turkeys. That's a. Uh, it's 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 just awesome. Um, but with that, with that, I think comes a, a certain responsibility in our storytelling to remind folks that, you know, this stuff hasn't always been here uh, and it won't always be here. And if you put too much stress on that resource, um, you know, you can still get in your car and drive around and see the countryside and, ex and, and experience people and culture, uh, but you may not be able to go get an overtag turkey hunt, uh, hunting tag because because everyone's out there doing it. So it's it's one of these things I've been having this conversation recently with people and I'm not sure how I feel about it anymore. I still I still have my own goals, my own pursuits, uh, very much for what we've talked about is being able to see all of this culture. And that's pretty much those trips for me, why they're important, um, other than just notching my belt, right? That's a nice byproduct of that and certainly a nice goal. But um, if if a whole lot of people are out there doing that in some of these more challenged areas of the country, um, you know, what does that look like in five or 10 years? Do we continue to promote it? That's a really big question, man. I thought that through a lot. Um, <clears throat> I mean, in, in, I think what we do as humans is we see an issue and we start to adjust our behaviors without thinking about it um, unintentionally, especially if it's a, uh, an issue that is close to us. And so I noticed over the last few years, so we've got family farm here. Um, it's been in my family for many, many generations. And then we have cattle leases. And so I've got control over, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the turkey hunting on, a big chunk of land here in this County. And maybe three years ago, two years ago, I started noticing that, you know, I have guys coming into the cabin, uh, clients coming in, you know, Pete uh, Muller's come up here a few times and folks from NWTF. And I started noticing that once my guests had had their bird, you know, me and my cousins and the family, we weren't going getting all gung ho to go out and kill more because we, had an awareness of how many birds we had and not that we felt like that was threatened, but it was just like, wow, there's fewer birds here than there was five years ago, 10 years ago. So I think we've killed enough this year. It was just kind of, we didn't have to have a conversation about it. We just kind of, it was intuitive. It made all, sense. Yeah. We all just kind of stopped for the season and we were fine with that. We were happy with that. And so now two or three years after we've really decided to slow down on that on our, we're starting to see a, an increase this winter. We've got a lot That's more awesome. gobblers. Yeah. We've got a, 
right there behind my house, we keep a feeder. And so there's 14 jakes and six gobblers every day at that thing. And it's, that's one of the flocks there near the house. And it's like, okay, this is looking closer to what I am used to now. What I'm used to is spoiled because I grew up in Missouri <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the 90s and 2000s. So, you know, if, if, if we don't have huge flocks of gobblers, I'm like, what's going on here? So, uh, but yes, I think that is that, an you know, important statement you yeah. just made though, right? Because yeah. that's, that's the perception. So many people that started uh, in that time frame when you said, and at, yeah. at the risk of beating the, to death, a dead horse with, with the audience, the podcast audience here, you and I are talking about this for the first time, I think, but, yeah, but they yeah. hear me talk about it all the time is that Turkey specifically conservation and totality. We are living in a golden age. Like when the history, the recorded history is here and you get down the road, 50, 60 years, we don't know what it looks like. We hope it's great. We hope we're, we're doing a good job here uh, and what you're doing and your efforts to promote, you know, a responsible lifestyle that this continues. I suspect mother nature has other plans. There's only so much human beings can do to control that. Right. Um, but we really have lived through the golden age in the last hundred years of turkey hunting because of all these efforts, because of all these people, these people I'm referencing that I can't wait to dial in and, and many of them are still alive. So, you know, to bring their stories uh, to this, to this uh, product, to you, you can record them as well. And, and to tell a visual story, um, there was a lot of sacrifice that went in and there was a lot of, a lot of heartache to get us to where we're at. So like getting back to the point of your statement, you know, it's a, it's a moment in time that people like right now. And, and as we sit in 2022, they're looking in certain parts of the country, like they're not what they used to be. There's gotta be a problem. Or is it just nature playing a balancing act in some areas we know, yes, there's a problem. We know that there was uh, either some over harvesting or weather events, consecutive years that didn't allow for good Turkey recruitment. So you know, you're, you're, you have to look at this stuff in a, in a probably a, a two year cycle anyway, to see, you know, what that recruitment looks like, what the weather did, what the harvesting did. Um, but are things really as bad as we make them out to be because we've been so spoiled. Yeah. And those years that we were spoiled, I mean, at the peak of it, I was in, in college. And so from 2006, through, I'm sorry, through 2002 to 2007, my full five years of getting my bachelor's degree, I was I uh, living in Bur- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> living in Branson, Missouri, about an hour and a half from here. And uh, not to say that things have changed in a bad way, but there were uh, a dozen public land accesses within 30 minutes of my college. And if I rolled up there at 10 o'clock to walk the woods on whatever property that was, the public land, I would probably get a bird to gobble and probably get him killed. And if I pulled up there and saw a truck parked there, I knew whose truck. It was. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is, there was a time where there were so many birds and there were really so few of us out there after them, you know? Um, and it felt like there was a lot of people hunting them. Now it feels like there's a, a lot, lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really wasn't, and uh, you know, it, we, I mean, I'd see a blue pickup there at whatever property. I just keep driving, and I'd see that kid at you know one of my classes in college, and be like, "Hey, did you kill that bird this morning?" Yeah, I killed him. You know, I saw your truck there. So 
we there was a there was a really close knit dedicated group of hunters at that time at least here in the ozarks and that's grown i mean none of us ever considered uh you know there being a line of people trying to compete over a spot or much less us you know getting on our belly and crawling toward one with a fan or any of that stuff that just wasn't on the that wasn't part of it at all and so uh anyway it was just a different time man and so now we have more things to consider than just how many birds are there you know uh because there's a lot of other influences as part of this whole thing that we love uh, so i think like uh the content that's created uh these like when you, you like when you my first uh, introduction to you i told you before was um the disease right and you went down mm-hmm. there red beard and, and did that like just watching that and you know consuming that many 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 times because <laughs> there's a lot there in, in under 10 minutes right um mm-hmm. it, it just gets your wheel spinning about uh, doing things a different way or, you know, just you end up being influenced by these people. Uh, you may obviously likely never meet. Uh, but because, because of what we have at our fingertips now, we're able to, we're able to derive a lot from different people, from different cultures, different, different ideas or philosophies on, on how to, uh, conserve the resource, how to utilize the resource, uh, literally on the ground, how to go hunt these things. Um, I don't, it's uh, I'm not going to call it a double edged sword, but it's certainly like it inspires in a good way to get out there and try different things and go to different places. Uh, and I think that's largely the point uh, after after telling somebody's story. But is is there some very negative byproduct of that? I'm not sure. Um, I don't want to overthink it. But if people are inspired to go do this, do that, would they be there in the first place or would they just been cool hanging out in in their home state or, you know, bounce around a few states and just calling it a life like this was good enough for me. But now because of who we are, it's like, you know, know, me specifically, I can speak to you like nothing's ever good enough. Okay, I did this. I got to top it. I got to top it. And it's not for it's not for accolades. It's it's my own personal drive. And it's like, uh, okay, I I need to go out west to the mountains of Idaho or Montana and do that challenge and hunt a turkey out there because that's different than hunting the Ozarks or that's different than, you know, hunting a hemlock stand in in New Hampshire. And it's just drive to see and experience new things. It's an interesting, I think turkey hunting is a very, uh, I'm not to say difficult place, but it's a... I don't know if it's well suited for uh, competing against yourself with a a real competitive nature for next up type of thing. Right. So all these other, there's a lot of other outdoor pursuits where, okay, well I killed a 300 inch bull. So now I'm going to go kill a 340 inch bull. Um, One of the beautiful things about Turkey hunting from the beginning to me, and maybe it's because I was so, you know, irritated by all the, whitetail hunting shows I saw (laughs) not ever being able to measure up to those standards was the fact that there's a bird with a, uh, with a beard and I'm going to kill him. And that, and that 
that's all, that's all it, that's as good enough. Right. There's not a, I was never going, man, the spurs are too short. Uh, maybe he's a two year old. It's like, no, I killed a gobbler. And I got fired up about that and I still get fired up about that. And so I think one of the beautiful things about it is the simplicity of uh, being satisfied with an experience you had with a bird and being able to go, wow, that was cool. And I can do that on my family farm here in Lebanon, Missouri, a thousand times and not go, man, I just did that last year. I don't want to do that again. Now, if I go to Wyoming and do it, it's pretty awesome. Or if I go to Florida and do it, it's also really great. But um, I think there's just something that comes off of you like pressure or burden or whatever with turkey hunting that you have with other pursuits that just feels more like laid back and fun where you can really soak up where you're at, what you're doing, soak up the environment around you. And just for me, it's restful, I guess. Um, when man, I'm sitting up there with my bow and here comes a white tail and I'm going, ah, is he three year old? Is he a four year old? Have I seen him on my trail camera? Uh, should I let him go? Should I go ahead and, you know, harvest him? What do I do? What do I, you know, ah, there's, there's all the voices in your head with the Turkey. It's like, Oh, he's going down. Here he goes. That's kind of how I it's feel about whitetail. It really doesn't occur to me, especially being in New Hampshire. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's a bumper sticker out there I I, uh, I live by. So, <laughs> if he's brown, he's down. <laughs> I don't. I don't give it yeah, too much maybe. thought. Like, heartbeat, four hooves. Let's go. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, so I a, clarify a cool right, what do. the turkey thing. It's it's. Um, and when I, when I say that, I, I picture this one specific farm I hunt and it's not pressured. It's a piece of posted that I have special permission on. And the challenge for me was getting that permission. It took six years of establishing a relationship and building a trust with the landowner before I ever stepped foot on there with a, a shotgun in my hand. That to me was as good as harvesting a bird because I was like, I'm finally here. I've, I've, I've built this relationship. Um, I've gained this trust. I've made a friend and they're, they're trusting me to take care of their property and treat it right and be responsible and on it. I'm here. And then harvested a bird, harvest another bird. My kid harvested a bird. Okay. We're, we're in the game. This is great. But a couple of years of doing that, I almost, and I might be kind of a sadist saying this, but I like, in a way of being frustrated <laughs> by another hunter kicking another bird out. I mean, it's, it's hell in the moment, <laughs> but the victory is a little sweeter with these frustrations or another challenging piece of land that I largely don't know other than, you know, looking at it through Onyx or some topo map and trying to figure it out from a bird's eye view. I think that's, I think that's yeah. what I personally mean by that. I will always get geeked up for a bird. I don't care. Jake's, no Jake's full, full, you know, three-year-old, <laughs> you know, if they're, if they're hollering at me, I'm super stoked. Like, hmm, let's go. And yeah. it never changes that. That yeah. part's always. I think what we have to be careful of as a community of us who love this bird is like some of the scenarios that I think through are like guys I've had friends of mine who want to get their 50 bird, their, they're chasing 49 yeah. thing type deal. Right. So, um, Hey, can I come kill my Missouri bird and check that off my list? Absolutely. So it's, it seems sometimes to be a race against the totally. Car. All right. I'm here. I got 24 hours. 
let's do it. And then it's, we're rushing, we're rushing. Here comes a bird, you know, boom, let's take the photo so I can put it on my Instagram and I'm out of here. I'm going off to Arkansas. By the way, you got any friends in Arkansas? So <laughs> it's like, you feel like a rented mule. Yeah. So <laughs> if we boil down this thing, <laughs> it kind of takes to, over the romance. That's what I'm saying. So we have to remember, like, I would rather kill 50 birds here in Missouri that I take my time and joy than kill a bird in every state and have to rush through it and not really take the time to soak that experience mm. up. Does that totally, make sense? Dude. And, and it's, it's a, I think yeah. it's a societal thing. Um, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm correlating different aspects of life, but like when the app, the first Apple iPhone came uh-huh. out, it was a game changer as far as on demand, instantaneous um, pleasure. Right. You have all, the whole world at your fingertips. I remember, I remember thumb pounding a flip phone for a text that probably cost me five bucks every time I sent it. Right. Things have changed <laughs> considerably. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're, when all of this, this technology revolution, cause really that's what we've experienced and you've done it in your formative years, you know, when the, your frontal lobe has finally become solidified of who you are as an individual human being mm-hmm. uh, and you're processing all this change that does something to you. And knowingly or unknowingly, I think that, that, that bleeds into our pursuits, this idea of instant gratification and they're doing it. It's accessible. I should be able to do it too. I was kind of guilty of that this past spring, I went out to Nebraska and then, uh, because of a good friend of mine, um, that had a place in, in Kansas, he's like, yeah, you can go to my place in Kansas. Like, okay. This literally gives me 24 hours to get into birds and see if I can do this. Now, I wasn't down on myself that I didn't kill a Kansas bird because I did get into the birds. I just I couldn't get them to commit. So the part of that was time, place, resources. I'm in this place. I do have a finite amount of time. Personally, for me, it didn't detract from the experience at all. I saw some of the biggest damn Easterns I've ever seen. These things look like they were 30 pounds, you know, cruising across (laughs) this mud field. And I was like, that was great. It was fantastic. And I saw some other cool things while I was out there. So. You know, the 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 experience, the romance was not lost on me. And I, I felt like it was a total win. Like I just went to this place blind and got mm-hmm. into birds. Like, oh damn, I did it. Okay. I I can still hang. Yeah. I'm still I'm still in the game. Um but for your average blue collar guy or gal, man, it's it's a matter of, you know, like I say, maximizing your potential with the resources you have. So I think some of that plays into the strategy. But then, of course, there are exactly who you said there are, you know, these these yeah. IGers that are out there just posting, posting, posting away and, and, and living for those those hearts. And, you know, hey, you do you, man. I, I'm not judging you. It's not my life. But, you know, it's. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you're talking, you're talking about you and I came come out of the same world of no cell phones to, you know, taking 20 minutes to send a text until where we're at now. And so we can, we can look at how as a culture, we process information and experiences. So what, what do we do? How many times in the last few years have you been with someone, they kill a turkey and you run down there and you're doing the, you know, as Redbeard would call the dead bird rodeo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> trying to, 
trying to keep it from flopping. And, uh, before, while you're still going, man, did you see, did you see him come? You know, you're, t- you're walking the thing through with your buddy and you look over and he's already yeah with his phone yeah. snapping. Yeah. And, oh, oh, all of a sudden we're out of that. And so I think that we're, we're really in a place with culture right now where for hundreds of years, when we took in an experience or say a piece of literature, if you read a book a hundred years ago, when you were done with that book, you reflected on it before you moved on to the next book, right? Or whatever that was that you were focused on studying. You study, you reflect, and you move on. Now, before I, you know, get out of the bathroom in the mornings, I've, I've read five news headlines. I've seen 25 posts on Instagram. I've responded to texts and emails. So information and knowledge comes toward me, but it's lack of wisdom. It's knowledge, not wisdom. And so wisdom, Mm. uh, is coming from experiences and then they're the processing of those experiences and deciding in our heads, how we're going to let those experiences shape us. With turkey hunting, I did that when I was in high school and junior high and college. I kill a bird, I throw it over my back, and I have to tote it back to wherever. And that whole time, I got a smile on my face <laughs> because I'm replaying the yeah. situation. And now I've got the bird over my shoulder and I'm flipping through my phone as I head back. And so that opportunity of reflection is no longer a part of our process, which I feel like leaves it a little bit of an empty, uh, experience more of an empty experience not completely uh lacking in joy but it's just the different purity of it is, is, is kind of yeah. being bastardized right? that's right i think that's that's definitely the case and so if we can pull ourselves away from our media for a while to be able to just sit back and think about what we've experienced whether that's with a friend or by ourselves or whatever outside in god's creation i think we're just going to really see things from a different perspective than let's get that photo real quick. So I can post it on my Instagram. Everyone can see what happened, you know, learning through, you know, first thing coming up as a hunter um, with no mentor and, you know, just trying to learn things on the fly. You know, when I started later in life, it always stuck out to me and it was very important thing rules, you know, because I'm kind of a rigorous dude Uh, tag the animal. Before you do anything else, before you do anything. And that's always for whatever reason that sat with me. Um, so I'm not I'm not relieving myself of what you talked about, because I certainly have and do. Um, as soon as I tag that animal, uh, uh-huh. I, I break the phone out. And, okay, let's start taking pictures. Uh, but it does. Focusing on that tag, oddly enough, allows me a couple minutes to literally write down where I am in the world, what time I'm at in the world. Mm-hmm. And have that couple moments, that pause before we start posturing and positioning and getting lighting right. Yeah. And where's the sun and where's the shadows. And because that does become daunting, man. And it, and it does. I'm not going to say it cheapens the the uh, the experience, but it's a stressor, man. I got a, I got enough damn stressors in my life. You do, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. holy smokes, especially in the last two years. Like I, the last thing I want to do is be stressed in the woods to that end. And I've recently embraced my decision to do this. I was kind of nervous um, from, from industry friends and I, I don't begrudge people for doing this, but I've, I've moved away from trail cameras. That's too much mm-hmm. pressure, man. I'm not a very good deer hunter to begin with. 
And adding this this thing, this inventory of animals to my gray yeah. matter that, that I'm solely focused on, like, and I have depreciated the value of all those other animals that had I not known the inventory of, of what was on the landscape, I would have given the same attention to that spike horn buck that mm-hmm. I'm now giving to this 15 point rack deer that lives in New Hampshire that supposedly they don't, they do. They're there. They're just, you got to find them. <laughs> so I stopped, man, because it became more of a, a stressor in my life that I just <laughs> had to go out there and check them. I had to do all the scent stuff, everything that comes with that. And it just wasn't fun. And my wife mm-hmm. would like, she'd call me on it. She was, she's great for that. If she doesn't hunt, but she knows how I am and, and, and what it all means to me. She's like, you are miserable. Why? Why are you doing this to yourself? Cause I gotta, and she's like, why? And I'm like, you're exactly right. Why? Why? Yeah. And so I, I stopped. I've been happier ever since, but that's just me. I'm like, no, I certainly what happened out in Utah here recently I'm not putting a seal of approval on because I want I want everybody to be able to make their own choices and be able to do things yeah. uh, as free men and women, uh, ethically, legally, all of that. I don't like when the government steps in and starts arbitrating and saying, well, you're not doing this because we think hey, yeah. you're skirting the line there. Uh, actually, I think you've, you've gone over it, but they're personal choices. Right. So how we experience that. Yeah. Well, it should, there shouldn't be a cookie cutter molds for what a hunter looks like. And I think social media sometimes uh, inadvertently does yeah. that for a lot of people. At least it's easy for you to see the echo chamber that you're stuck in with the people you follow and all the content you consume to go, well, that's what it's supposed to be like. I mean, that's why people start their own hunting series on YouTube and use all the same buzzwords, you know, yeah, baby, I smoked him because they've heard all the people in there. <laughs> You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. tunnels yep, say that that's stuff, exactly right. right. That's where it comes from. So, uh, this content help can create a cookie cutter mold that, hey, this is what a hunter looks like. But it doesn't. It doesn't look like you have to use trail cameras. It doesn't look like, uh, you know, I have to photograph my turkey as soon as it goes down. If I don't, if I want to change that, because I've been all I do is photograph turkeys when they go down. My whole that's your job. Spring. So when I <laughs> when I kill one, when I kill one on yeah. my own. I want to, I think I was thinking this year, I might tote along a little journal. And like, as soon as my bird, I have my time with my bird, write down the experience, pen and paper. Great. I don't know. Just something That's different. Great you know, idea. Just a different way to process it. And, and, uh, before I walk away from that experience, uh, other than a, uh, another photo, cause I've got 80,000 photos on my phone. So. <laughs> my first few years, um, of hunting. I did that. And I kicked myself in the ass every year. I don't go back to it. I had, had this little green hard covered, uh, field journal that I had from the military. Yeah. They hand them things out like, like ibuprofen and, and water. And <laughs> I, I, as a new hunter in my early and mid twenties was recording everything, the experience, the, the weather, the data and that. And at first it seemed kind of like, wow, this is really kind of OCD. But a couple of years later, I went back and read that journal. It's like, I totally forgot about this hunt. I'm really glad yeah. I did this. And I've gotten lazy, uh, obviously uh, for almost 20 years now um, of not doing that. I love that you said that. And I'm going to make that a challenge 
to myself, not from you to me, but I'm just going to challenge myself to do that because, man, it's it's a different way to experience that down the line. You can go back even at the end of the year, go back and go through that journal and say, ah, oh, yeah, man, I remember that. I remember hearing that yeah. Cardinal jump in that thorn bush, that multi Rosa bush and just start, you know, singing its song while I was tagging this gobbler. And that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how we capture, how we process our special important moments and then have those to reflect on later is huge. You know, talking about, jotting down something in a journal. Like I, I think about this on the regular because both of my children are probably the most documented kids, uh, (laughs) literally ever. My, my wife's a photographer. I obviously, you know, have this agency for a living. So images are what I do. So now I go back and I have a box full of Polaroids and printed photos of my childhood, me and my sister. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We've got 50 or 75 photos in there. Now there's a photo of me with my first guitar. When I turned like four at Christmas, there's one photo of me in this guitar. My son gets <laughs> a Christmas gift and there is a folder of images yeah. of him. And so it's almost like an extension to this content overload. This, uh, we wonder why we're an anxious community, society, a culture. I mean, do I want to relive Christmas 2019? I have to wade through 150 photos from my DSLR that I ran through Lightroom and added the right <laughs> color correction to. You know, what I mean? instead of there's a photo of me 1988 with my guitar. Yeah. That's a really cool moment. Yeah. There's a one frame that was captured in time that I can hold in my hand and look at. That's just different to me than a Dropbox folder. Mm, totally. So we have too, almost too much capturing or too much, uh, you know, preserving all these things where it's, ah, that's, that's just overload. And so how, where's the happy medium? Yeah. Where is it? I don't know if, I don't know if one can be attained. Cause I remember growing up same, same stuff, flip books, you know, the, yeah. the cellophane would stick and stick to the pictures and, <laughs> um, had that same gluey smell. And, uh, anyway, and I remember hearing my my dad or my grandfather would remark, oh, I remember this time. I wish I had a camera for that. And I don't know if I like yeah. stuck with me forever because. It, yeah, it's like click, 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 click. My daughter, when my firstborn. Like everyone on Facebook got the play by play short of her coming out of my wife's stomach. <laughs> I was like and I look back yeah. on it now. I'm like, man, that was. That was kind of obsessive, like I. And there's a part of me that I'm, I'm happy I have these pictures because I, I can memory recall. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that in there in the, you know, her first bath, diaper change, all this. But then, like, I spent the whole time observing her through a, a lens or a phone instead of using my God given mm-hmm. eyes to appreciate this, which I did, of course. I still got to see her with my own naked eyes and, and appreciate that. But I mean, it's. Again, it's this this weird pressure of of documentation, yeah. and and there's a there's definitely value on it. it was, I valued it because I was like, if I don't get every instance, if I don't get the sun, the sunset, yeah. the sunrise out of the ho- the the be- um, the hospital window, I'm gonna forget all this, and I can't forget any mm-hmm. of this because then I'd be like my grandfather, and you know, wish I could have, and I can't yeah. go back in time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've documented both of my children being born, and it's an incredible thing to have an edited video that is two minutes or whatever it is of 
the process. And that's a beautiful thing to look back at. And I think that, you know, we're a wealthy culture and technology is a form of wealth. And so we have these tools to our disposal so that, that we don't have to say, man, I don't have any way to remember this part of my life. We're lucky. But yeah. Super yeah, lucky. All good things uh, can also be bad. Yeah, no, for sure. Overused, look exactly you know? right. So, you go back to um, what you were saying about, you know, uh, stylistic tendencies and stuff. People like using buzzwords and, you know, just. Yeah, and that's, that's, you know, that's why I tell people I don't listen to other people's podcasts. When I started doing this, you know, five (laughs) years ago, I was, you know, ear deep in in podcasts because the content, the stories were great. I'm just I'm Mm -hmm. captivated by it. I just like good stories. And I started noticing stylistically I was ripping people off, not on purpose, but my cadence or the way I would enunciate in my communication or the way I'd start to frame a thought and I was like dude I, I heard this guy do that the other day unfortunately I'm not listening to anyone else's stuff because I want it to be <laughs> I want it to be me I don't want the yeah. uh, Fred Bird sounds like this fella or that guy so unfortunately mm-hmm. so the point I'm getting to is like did you notice because I noticed and that's why I'm bringing this up I don't know if you were the first but in my life in my universe, you were the first, your style of shooting, whatever filters you used, the colors, the grittiness of it. It was, there's a style you have of your cinematography. And I noticed after it came out, other people started going into that. And I don't know if that's something you can copyright or trademark. I don't believe you can, but there was definitely an influence on an industry. Did you ever, did you notice that? Or do I, you don't have to say if you feel, you know, jacked up saying it, (laughs) I don't mind attributing it to, to, to you. Um, but you know, if you don't, that's fine too. Well, we're, I, I, I really appreciate that. I I think we're all shaped by the influences that we allow in just like you, you listen to podcasts and you, you, you see those influences in the way you're delivering, you know, your podcast and the same goes with me. And and I, I think that what was probably unique at the time was I was living in Seattle and, uh, lived there for five years and, uh, went to seminary for a little while. And, um, I was surrounded by really creative people in a left coast, you know, Mm. city. (laughs) And Mm. I learned, uh, about cinematography from people way outside of this community. And, this was always where my heart was because I've always been a hunter and been a outdoorsman and grew up, you know, very, very redneck on a farm down a dirt road (laughs) where I live today. But those influences from those people that I was around, uh, in, in, on the West coast that shaped how I picked up a camera and told stories. And that just so happened to overlap with what I'm passionate about, which was, was outdoors. Mm. And so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know, I did anything remarkable other than pick up on really cool uh, techniques from people who I respected that, you know, were telling stories about, you know, way th- other things that are not hunting related yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think that's, I think mean, that's really important for all of us, no matter what our trade is, is to not to look outside of our, our bubble, you know, to, it's real easy when, when people come in, cause I have a lot of young guys who 
want to learn the, the trade. And, and I open my studio to people all the time. You know, we've got several editing suites. And so there's actually one that we built that's just, you know, hey, this is over here. I prayed about it and said, God, put people in our life that we can bless that want to learn how to shoot and edit and everything. And so uh, people come in a lot, young guys, and, and uh, I always just will encourage them to watch something other than the things they're watching on YouTube <laughs> that are within the hunting industry, mm. because you, we have to be able to see beyond our own bubble in order to bring fresh new perspectives in. I don't mean that politically. I just mean that visually, you yeah. know, so put a pin yeah. in that thought, uh, on the other side of this 90 second break, I want to come back to that. Uh, where mm -hmm. do you draw from? So 90 seconds, be right back. Uh, check out our, our support and sponsors. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear. From fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. Right before that break, we're talking about your influences you know, where outside, you know, do you, do you draw from? I mean, it's, do you, do you go to Hollywood or the movies or are you kind of taking bits and pieces from what you do in the music industry or is it all just kind of like this, this cool cornucopia of a little bit of this, a little bit of that? Yeah. Oh, so personally for me, I think when I first started, uh, filmmaking, I was drawn to stuff that was accessible for me. And so one of the shows that I first saw that I thought kind of captivated my attention was Friday night lights. You remember that series, the, the TV show, the football series. I, I was aware of it. I might have been yeah. aged out of it a little bit, but that was on the yeah, CW so, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. 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 So I, well, I saw it on Netflix okay. and, and sat down and watched, you know, the first couple of seasons. And I, what, what I loved about it was the fact that everything was handheld and, and I researched it and they did the thing the first season on a shoestring budget. So they just ran around with cameras handheld hmm. and, and, and did these scenes. And sometimes they were one, one take scenes or two take scenes. And that idea of being able to zoom in close on people and catch their emotions. Uh, of course it's a scripted, drama but uh when something's going on in someone's life like they just killed a turkey or whatever that is an emotional moment 
how you capture and There's frame no storyboard and for that. that stuff. Right. Yeah. So, so, and at the time I didn't have any money and I had a camera and I could go handheld with it. So <laughs> I was like, Hey, I can do this. So I studied and studied that. Um, Peter Berg, the director, uh, has done a lot of really great stuff and that very similar kind of shaky handy camp style. And, and then, you know, I watched a lot of other DPs and directors from Hollywood movies that I really liked and just tried to bring that cinematic look to our hunting content. Now, if I'm out filming a Turkey call, for example, you know, I don't have a lighting crew that's going to come and light a scene for me. So I just have to lean on, uh, the, the sun and the time of day. And sometimes we'll move people around to make sure that we're in the right spot where we've got pretty decent light or whatever, but you know, within our limitations of being out and about in the outdoors, just kind of constantly thinking about where's the sun, where's the light coming from? Uh, how is the light going to shape the, the scene that we're trying to shoot here and, and break it up into scenes. Uh, that's, I guess, another thing that I, that I took from, uh, cinema, a lot of hunting content is, you know, some upbeat song and it's just a montage. And what I try to do is, is create scenes. So, you know, with Redbeard, for example, that was really the first piece of content that I did in the hunting community that got some attention and the disease and it's broken up into multiple scenes. I mean, he's walking down a, a road in Georgia, yelping on his call. And so before we see Redbeard walking down the road, you see and hear the, pines swaying in the wind and you hear the birds chirping and the music fades out so we can actually hear what's going on and take five seconds 10 seconds to put you in that space before you see him yelping uh and then after he yelps he waits doesn't hear a bird he walks a little bit more and then we move into some of his interview content so we we're going to go then a little bit more music it's going to stop and we're going to cut into another scene. And so I think just breaking that up like a movie would, would be uh, transitioning from scene to scene and relying really heavily on the, the audio side of that along with the visuals was, was one thing that I tried to do that I think just a little bit different at the time. And we've continued with that. Continuity so. must be a tough thing to deal with when you're dealing with a lot of the natural world, what it's giving you. Yeah. So we have a pretty substantial archive of sound design that we've captured in the field. And there's actually times when I first started this company where I just couldn't find the right audio. And so I would just take a microphone out for a day in the woods and I'd record 30 seconds of audio that's 500 yards from the river. And then I'd capture 30 seconds. That's 200 yards from a river. And I just wanted to get these different audio spaces so that now I can put six or seven video clips and lay uh, some natural audio underneath it to bring those together. So when that audio continues from clip to clip, the viewer doesn't feel like the continuity is, is thrown off, even if maybe those clips were shot at different times or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the audience doesn't know because it's so well pulled together and seamed together that it's, it makes all the sense in the world. I will say that if you've been filmed and you hear a certain sound, you're like, I know for sure that sound didn't happen. (laughs) That's a cool little secret between you and them and, you know, whatever. But it's, it's, you know, it's all good and it's not like it's a, 
you know, like some of these movies, you'll hear some non-indigenous species like rear up yeah. like some peacock call and you're like, what, what? there's no peacocks there. What are you doing? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And honestly, most of the time we use stuff that because I'll take a, a Zoom recorder with me and sometimes just put it, wrap it up underneath a like a a little uh, face mask and put it under a decoy. So it's away from us while we're hunting and it's capturing however long we're sitting there at that set. 30 minutes or an hour of just ambient audio and, and, uh, try to make a habit of that. And it's extra cool. The turkey comes in and attacks yeah. a decoy or gobbles next yeah. to it. So yeah. you get close up audio. How did, uh, <laughs> how did adding drones? I mean, I obviously from, from the consumer standpoint, I, I, I can answer this question, but for you as someone that does this for a living, like how did drones change the game for you? And, and I have to imagine the, initial expense and investment in a drone is still cheaper than renting a helicopter or a crane for a day. <laughs> yeah. So I bought, I was one of the first people to buy a DJI phantom was on the waiting list when they announced it back in 2011 or whatever it was at the time you had to mount a GoPro yeah. on it and, uh, waited and waited and waited. And that thing finally showed up and I was, I mean, my wife and I broke, you know, and this was an, a substantial investment. And at the time there were no like, Hey, you need to be flight trained for this. Or, I mean, that was, just wasn't even right. a thing. It was just too new. No one knew what they, this, yeah, it was a toy. And so I bought it, got it all ready, set it up. Now we lived on the Puget sound in Washington. So I'm in the backyard hanging out with my buddy, Trevor. I remember it like it was yesterday and I pushed a button on the remote and the drone goes up and it heads out right over the ocean. And, uh, I'm going, dude, what's going on? <laughs> It's going away. And so we're like sitting there filling with buttons and I just watched it. I just watched it off and never came back. Never came back. So my first drone, the first the flight. Robots the robots have taken Phantom. over and they're bugging out. See ya. It's out in the ocean somewhere. And I sat down and oh I my gosh. whatever, a $500 GoPro mounted on it. And then the initial cost of that thing. And yeah, I was pretty upset by that. And so from that point on, <laughs> I ended up buying a, as a phantom later that came out and we, you know, obviously use them and we, we really are intentional about not overusing drones. We, we try to, depending on how long the piece of content is, we use two or three drone shots and, and, you know, you use that to establish a setting, a scene where we're moving into another location. We're going to use that drone to let the viewer know, but we're not going to, you know, build a big montage or drone footage, but we've wrecked, crashed destroyed multiple drones <laughs> uh there was one place in south texas where there was literally no trees to be seen apparently there was one you found it so we we yeah. found it and trashed the drone and we also when they first had come out tried to flow, fly one over the city of savannah georgia and it almost went into oncoming traffic and caused a pile oh up. man so at some point we decided no we're not going to fly over cities any longer and then and then I guess the FFA also decided that we weren't, no one was going to fly over cities without the correct, which was a good Probably move. So, you know? right? They just don't need, I was going to say they don't need idiots running around with drones, but they don't need people like me. <laughs> What's the, and, uh, you know, how's it work during a hunt? Like, yeah. Is that, is that, uh, well, obviously, I mean, I'm not asking you to admit or otherwise, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know what I'm wanting to ask, but I'm, I'm yeah. not sure how I want to ask it. Yeah. Like you want to be able to film and document a hunt yeah. from a certain perspective. 
certain states mm-hmm. have have laws against that. It's just one of those things you just got to buy by like can't get that shot during right. the hunt. That's it. Yeah, we, we we filmed some stuff early on of some bears in uh, New Mexico. That was gorgeous footage. And uh, that went viral. No, we never, it never got out. I thought, I thought you got, had the two bears out in the Southwest. That, I thought that you and I had talked about that. It wasn't the, this, this specific clip I, that may have been something else, but this specific clip um, was beautiful and we were going to put it out and it, uh, we started doing some research because one of the guys at the ranch was like, man, I don't know. And uh, this was very early on. And we started looking and it was like, you know, this might be a gray area. We better not put this out. And then, uh, not long after that, I think they actually made a a rule or a law that said, you know, no harassing wildlife with drones. And I, I guess it could be debatable. I don't feel like we were harassing them. We were still away from them. But when when they create laws, red legislation, you, you just want to be on the right side. Well, it's thing. interesting so, to think about from the hobbyist know. standpoint of someone that doesn't hunt. Yeah, and I just want to go out there with my cool drone and and just get some really cool shots. If you're not up yeah. on, on game laws and why would you be, um, right. I don't know why, like what, what would clue somebody in to be like, Hey, I better check this out before I run this thing. Like there's no manual, a national FFA manual for drone operators. Is there? There is, oh. but most people who buy them don't go through the process of getting yeah. licensed like they're supposed to. So for us, I mean, we have a guy on our team that's licensed. And so if we're, if we're going to shoot a, a a project that requires some extensive drone footage. We've got someone that's, that can do that, but you know, the hobbyist is just going to buy the thing and go fly it around. And that's, that's become a bit of an issue. in a lot of, I mean, we were at crater Lake a couple of years ago and it's a national park. You're not supposed to fly your drone in there. And there was like five or six people buzzing around with these little air drones, the tiny ones. And I'm like, it's kind of screwing up the whole, I mean, I drove all the way up here to sit on this, you know, overlook and look at this gorgeous crater lake. And yeah, buzzing all over the place. Get these things out of here, you know? So, and I, and I think that nobody really understood what was going to happen with how much people were going to want them and how many hobbyists were going to buy them. And it's because they priced them affordably that accessibility. There you are. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the thing with drones and we, we use them in a limited capacity and and usually just fly them in on private land and places where there's no structures around and, and uh but you know we, we do corporate work we have a guy on our team that can do that in the right way yeah. so. more things to consider it's just uh one if the government can make a buck on it and they can find a way to legislate it they will and two i mean it's oh, just yeah. With with was it was it with more power comes more responsibility kind of thing. It's just you don't yeah. think about these things when the tech is new, but give it six months and it'll be a two hundred page law on it. <laughs> well, the gov- the government never thought they'd have to worry about competing airspace. You know, they're kind of like, hey, we we kind of own this up here. We can handle the air traffic, and then all of a sudden, where you know, a guy living in an apartment can go and have a presence in the airspace with commercial aircrafts. Okay, now we got to work around this. Yeah, and then dubious people are out there that do things with the tech that you never, a, a normal average human being that's just decent in being in their mm-hmm. skin would never conceive. But then they go and they put guns on them and put super crazy high right. cameras on them and 
do deceivious yeah. things with them. So it's it's a bummer yeah. that there's that part of the devil rears his head, but um, <laughs> no, it, it's I guess it is. Yeah. So all the good people suffer, but you seem to have found yeah. a, a niche with it and, and worked a way around it. So it's not really affecting you. It's just something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like if it was a bigger part of the storytelling process, I'd probably be deeper into it, but I don't think it's necessary a lot of drone footage isn't going to add to that storytelling process. So we just don't focus yeah, on yeah. it. That no, much. It's just a nice, it's a nice added piece, you know, mm-hmm. some pretty shots and anything of, of just getting good landscape oh. shots. What, um, man there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just going to ask you kind of transition here. You know, I, you've done so much. Is there one, one or two projects and it doesn't have to be hunting that, that stands out in your mind that you just, when you lay your head down at night, you're like, yeah, I did that. That, <laughs> that was cool. And I don't know if I'll top it. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I have to think about that. I think we delivered over 200 videos last year to clients. And so, um, in the last 10 years, there's a lot of content yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's gone through here. Um, I do feel like the disease is just a special thing just because that was really me going, Hey, I think I can do something cool in the hunting community. Um, and I literally just found that guy online and reached out to him and asked him if I could come tell a story. And he was like, I don't care. Come to my house. Here's my address. And so that was something that I shot that I edited it and, really was just doing weddings and other stuff at the time and filming whatever I could film. And I put that thing online and woke up the next day and I had an inbox full of messages and thousands and thousands of views overnight. And I went, what on earth happened here? <laughs> Is this real? Um, <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And, and started a lot of conversations with a lot of the brands that we work with today. So I think that was, obviously I don't feel like that's my best work because that was 10 years ago no, close to 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago. But it was, I think it put a, a flag in the ground for yeah, us. That certainly. Uh, like, this uh, is hey, check, check these folks out in quick yeah. order. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, you know, beyond that, there was a music video I shot last year called mattress on the floor for Mo Pitney that I was really proud of. Um, all this new mossy oak DNA stuff that we we've, we've done. I'm really, really proud of that. Uh, a lot more time and in, being intentional has been put into some of these more recent projects where, um, you know, traditionally on hunting stuff, you, you go and you capture what you can capture and then you try to turn it into something. <laughs> and then there's ways we work around being set up for the most success in that scenario and capturing the right interview and all that. But still at the end of the day, you're limited to, nature, right? What the turkeys are going to do or what the deer are going to do and, and all of that. And so some of the content we've been working on lately, that's deep into a storyboard process, making sure that everything's lit, right. Having a team of lighting people and and all of that stuff. That's just a lot of fun to me. So uh, I think some of that content we've done with Mossy Oak recently has been stuff that I'm really, really proud of and see that as a transitional point for us going forward. Anything uh, you can pull a curtain back on? Any cool projects coming up you want to let us know about? Yeah, yeah there's, <laughs> a, there's a lot of stuff coming up this year. We have a, an in-house sort of passion project. It's going to be interesting to, to see how it pans out, if it pans mm. out. I'm not going to, I won't go too deep into it, but 
it's unlike anything that we've ever seen in the hunting community. Uh, it's let's just say it's, uh, mockumentary style work. So we're working on some ideas to kind of poke some fun at ourselves. And poke I, some fun I at the think, that, I think you and I have <laughs> talked about this and if we have, yeah. I hope it's what it is. Cause yeah. mm-hmm. that's going to be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about no, it. No, no, I, I dig that. Uh, well, I honestly fear that I, you know, that it, it'll be a challenge to pull off. So I want to make sure we pull it off. <laughs> but do some but in-house screenings that, and you know, yeah, run it through some it's crowds. Just such a, yeah, it's just such a new thing when you try to to do things completely different and you try something that no one's tested yet. That's the fun so. of it. Right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, big picture, just kind of poking fun at at ourselves poking fun at, at the outdoor community and, and a new series that's, that's not reality, but more scripted type of stuff. So, um, we'll see how it goes. I think it'll be fun. That's, that's what I'm most excited about. And then just growing my team over here and continuing to, to add to our wonderful clients in WTF. Included. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah. The, the entire organization. Thank you. <laughs> well, we're, we're grateful for it. I mean, honestly, like when I shot, the disease when I decided, Hey, I'm going to try to see if I can make my way into the outdoor community as a filmmaker. I told Redbeard when I called him, I said, I want to do a film on a Turkey call maker because I need to figure out how to get involved with WTF on content because they, at the time, digital presence was not, there was much, mm. you know, it was still TV right. and the NWTF has been such an important organization to me for the longest time. I mean, when we were in college, I would get all my buddies together and we would jump in. My buddy had an Oldsmobile and you could fit like eight people in. <laughs> so we go stay at the Fiddler's Inn and take our air, air mattresses and we go, you know, uh, 2002, 2003, that era, we would go shake hands with, you know, all the, all the different people we wanted to, that we saw in Nightingale yeah. and all those guys we see on the VHS tapes. And so from a very young age, it was like, NWTF was a huge part of my life, my passion for turkey hunting. And so all that to say, when I first came into this industry, I had my sights set on working with you guys. And for the last several years, I've been blessed with, with that honor. So it's been really cool. Now it's allowed me to get to share some dirt with you, which has been a, a, a true pleasure <laughs> and entertaining yep. as hell. And I can't wait for folks to see some of that forthcoming content once that's out and, you know, the other projects that, that you're working on, uh, cause it's all done yeah. very well, very well. And, uh, it's, I appreciate uh, that. It, it's allowing and we started talking about the recorded history to, to be here and tell our story and tell our volunteer and member stories. And it's, you know, it's like yeah. you said, just stuff just keeps growing and building upon what was done to the next. And it's just, it keeps getting better if you can believe it. Um, yeah. What, uh, we, we start talking about convention, anything specific you're looking forward to at convention, anything that's piqued your interest or just is it work for, for three or four days? Yeah, I think it'll be a little bit of both. I mean, um, I haven't gone to any trade shows this year. Obviously a lot of people aren't going to shot show. ATA was, Heard that. um, I think shot shows got, uh, other challenges other than the pandemic, but, uh, I think NWTF is going to be a great place for everyone to see one another and to catch up, which is always something I love about this time of year is going to the shows and 
saying hi to people, you know, having some beers and bourbons and uh, all of that, you know, um, it's always really a good time. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, uh, the community, man. It's been weird the last couple of years, not, uh, getting to see and tell stories and hang out with those people that you build those relationships with year after year these at these trade shows specifically in the BTF. Cause that's the, that's where we talk about turkeys, you know, and that's where we go out. It's going to be a pile of people there. It, the hotel is sold out. So oh, if, wow. uh, if you've not made your arrangements, uh, I'd start finding an Airbnb or find a holiday Inn or something around the area because yeah. Gaylord's sold out. That's that. Wow. So, so good for us. I would recommend the Fiddler's, the Fiddler's Inn. Inn. It was great in 2003. <laughs> Does that exist still? Uh, is, that a, is that a place? I don't know. <laughs> what is a, well, it was a depraved season of my life with a bunch of college dudes packed into one hotel room. <laughs> Nashville's a, yeah, a nice a, city, but there's some, uh, there's some sketch places, Nashville proper. <laughs> that's right. That's right. As long as we could walk to Gaylord, we were yeah, good. Though, and that's, so. that's no small feat. One end of that parking lot yeah. to the next is, uh, I was trying to ways. execute a, a damn 5k down there, but, um, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's not come to fruition for this year, but I, I'm still going to press my favor because, because it's so big. Um, yeah, I think there's an opportunity there. So, and, and I like to run oh, and yeah. I think it'd be fun to have a, a little Turkey trot run around the gay Lord, but, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to be geared up on a Thursday or Friday morning to get up seven o'clock after uh, the welcome party. But Hey, that's what makes it fun. You know? Well, yeah, they do it in Vegas. Yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah, they have that thing every sure year. Do. So. I don't, I don't know. There used to be in college, there was a place where you could like, there was like an opening in the gate from the mall over to the Gaylord. So you could like park at the mall and get around the parking fee and <laughs> kind of cut through the gate. So I don't know if that still exists or Trade not. Tricks of convention. It's going to be a, a series, a lead up series to, to no, right. it won't, but it should be. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. How to navigate that convention by the, by the, by the yeah, pros. Convention hacks. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. There's plenty of them out there too. Um, oh yeah what are you looking forward to fred i'm looking forward to, to seeing this podcast not selfishly but it's it's an idea um that's been five years in the making uh this will come to fruition this is going to be a thing we're going to do uh three three hour sets um starting on thursday from 11 30 to to six and then from friday on friday we're going to do a three hour set four to seven right there as you enter the show floor uh right by the big mossy oak living room uh just a little bit mm-hmm. up front of our podcast row and then just uh you know being able to sit down with, with guys like you um connor and and another family and friends coming in for 15 30 minutes and just <laughs> having quick conversations about what's going on and just great to see you. And, um, it's been a long time coming. So a personal, personal baby of mine being born, I am excited about it. Uh, otherwise it's just going to be good to be on the ground. I hate to be so broad and cliche, but this last two years has sucked, man. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I haven't on this program. It's uh, I mean, yeah. there's been plenty of silver linings, but <clears throat> You know, not being able to gather, not being able to go to banquets. And it's it's a thing of frustration because it's not something you can like. You can't physically grab this thing and strangle the hell out of it and end it. It's just, yeah. 
personally, it's here to stay. Uh, we're learning that in these as we speak, you know, and it's just going to be yeah. something as, as humanity that we got to we got to deal with and, and move on. Uh, we are not the kind of people, especially people in our crowd that sit idly by and roll over and, and just take it. Well, we're fighters. We're passionate people. Um, and I, I yeah. you know, I think I think that'll be well on display with a huge crowd of people in, in a few weeks um, in, in a very good way, in a very exciting and, and grateful and passionate way. Uh, you're going to see that. And, and that's it's oh, overdue. Yeah. Um, so I, obviously the new gear, I'm a gear nut. Uh, I, when I was down in, uh, Charleston a few months back with heart. So I got, they got a sneak peek uh, at the new nomad line and some of the new gear there. So that's going to be very exciting to see. Um, the vest lineup, it looks very cool. Um, so bring an extra convention hack, bring an extra bag empty <laughs> bring an extra empty bag um, yeah they'll be selling stuff on the floor all of a lot most of yeah. the brands nomad typically sells out of some of their stuff yep. there so, i mean their their initial order of and man they've done they've done such a cool job with that heart is a is a great leader with that with them and in, in creating stuff that turkey hunters need i don't know? know how they continue to top themselves this is just like you know with with you i mean you just build on one success after another because uh, just when I think they got it licked with with the best turkey vest ever, um, well, you'll see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. I didn't think you could do it, but damn it, you did. So yeah. what will next year look yeah. like? Let's stay tuned. But uh, yeah, Tussie yeah. will be down there. I think he's going to come on the program as well, and you know, other family and friends. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, trying to think what else we got going on. Hey, it's just this big lead up to the fiftieth. Big 50th mm -hmm. birthday anniversary. And and that's that's what this is going to be. There's a big pep rally, big, big party. And then and, and let's charge forward to 23. And and uh, by then we figured out the, the universe and the world and everyone is just living and we're, we'll just show up unencumbered by masks and et al. And that'll be that. Yeah, let's hope that's the, the only case. mask I, I want to wear is a new team. nomad turkey mask with mossy oak <laughs> print on it. That's the only friggin' mask I'm right. interested in. The only mask I want's in bottom that's line. It. <laughs> Damn right, baby. <laughs> print it up. Oh man. Well, I'm I'm you know looking forward to another another season of Turkey Call this spring Hell as yeah. well. Yeah, so yeah. Ideas abound. Yeah. Waiting for those phone calls to come in and line them up. But it'll yeah. be a a pleasure bringing my less than subpar mic compared to yours now out. I'm gonna look yeah. here societal influence. I am gonna totally go find your mic and see if I can make that part of my inventory just because because <laughs> this doesn't do it for me anymore. But uh, mic in hand, I'll, I'll text you a yeah. link. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, captains won't appreciate it, but uh, this one works just fine. Uh, we'll be out there this spring, and I'll, I'll definitely look forward to sharing some turkey camps with you and telling those stories from from this side. And um, it just be good to see people out there too. You know, just down to earth uh, volunteers and members telling their stories. And you know, that's that's something that's lacked for so many years. And I'm so glad we're. We're putting the limelight on them and telling their stories now. Yeah. It's it's they're the ones out there doing the work, not some bought and paid for ad company. You know what I mean? I mean, those those dollars are oh, important, yeah. too. But, uh, you know, talked about it last week. Every thirty five dollars 
uh, that gets matched to the power of three, four, five, six, ten. Sometimes, I mean, that's it's imme- well, it's measurable, but it's mm-hmm. you can't you can't put a price on it right away because you don't know the true potential of that thirty five dollars um, right. until until our our great staff gets a hold of it and puts it to work and collaborates with other organizations, and then it's like, wow, look what your thirty five dollars did. So, oh yeah, huge and important work. I agree with that. So, Hey, thank you so much for, for answering my phone call and, and making the time, yeah. uh, the time more I thought about like timing's perfect. So, uh, it's always good to catch up with you and we will be doing so where are we at? We're at the, in like a month. I'm going to be yeah. getting on a plane in, in almost four weeks of the day and setting up down there and, and I'll see you there. Yeah. I'll see you there. And then, turkey camp this yeah, spring some awesome. too. so well <laughs> thanks for best to you best of the family good luck and uh, i'll see you in four weeks all right brother thanks again to my good buddy nathaniel maddox for coming on the program and chatting with us um you know it's a. Uh, I think anybody can go out and uh and shoot a film or you know record a hunt and that's great uh it's it's a different level when you got somebody like nathaniel and his team uh they can go out there and create visual art and 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 that's exactly what it is and it's so just so awesome to have him uh work with the nwtf and 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 bring his talents and his team's talents uh, to bear and collaborate with us and our communications department and be able to provide just outstanding storytelling and, and a recorded history of, of our volunteers, of our partners. So um, we're fortunate to have them and, and, and God willing that that partnership will last uh, for quite many, quite many years to come because um, uh, we're, we're all better as a, as a, combined force and it's it's awesome man so thanks again to my buddy for coming on and i look forward to seeing you nathaniel at convention as well as in turkey woods that is uh <laughs> it's freezing cold i'm down and in, in, at headquarters this week we're gearing up for convention and there was uh there was some ice, man. There was skim ice and some puddles the the vehicles were frosty i did leave the great north where it was a negative 20 windshield uh, wind chill. So I guess, I guess I'll take 32 degrees in South Carolina, but Hey man, I brought the cold with me. Sorry, folks. Uh, looking forward to warmer spring days. Uh, as we talked about guys, this is it. We're four weeks away, a little over four weeks, but four weeks away. We'll call it from convention from Nashville. It's happening. Despite what you may or may not know, it is happening. We are showing up. I was out in the warehouse. The pallets are are loaded up. We got some awesome stuff for you guys uh, that are going to be there at the at the uh, Gaylord in Nashville with us. Uh, the hotel itself is sold out, as I said on the program. So planning to come and you have not made your arrangements. Get on it now. You don't have much time left. And um you're going to want to secure some uh, some accommodations if you're coming down for a few days. So some great entertainment lined up. 
You can register now, get your tickets for events. Uh, those are most of them uh, limited seating capacity. Uh, so if there's an event or two or three that you want to get to, I suggest you get on there now and register for that event or two that you want to go to. Uh, you can find all that information on our convention website uh, at nwtf.org. And I encourage you to go there as much as you can and, uh, and get what you need done now. Um, as I've said in the programs past, uh, our silent auctions, Ladies Hunt and Grand National are live and available to you. Uh, items being added uh, here as we get closer and we're getting our live auction lines set uh, very soon here as well. Uh, so that is ongoing. So bit early, bit often on your silent auction items. Uh, plenty of good stuff there and uh, plenty to be excited about. Uh, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll have some some convention teasers, some great guests coming up as we lead up to convention, our kickoff to the 50th anniversary, our big pep rally. And I look forward to bringing that program to you. Thank you once again to our new title sponsor of the program, Tetra Hearing. Thank you so much for your support. We thank our supporting sponsors, Nomad Outdoor, Sportsman Guide, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's. Thank you all so much for being part of our podcast family here on the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, Turkey Call All Access. Until next time, folks, be kind to each other, love each other, take care of each other. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Turkey hunters find everything you need to succeed at sportsmansguide.com. From decoys and calls to apparel, boots, and blinds. Plus, Sportsman's Guide has much more than just hunting gear, from fishing, camping, and adventure to family barbecues and backyard bonfires. For everything you love about the great outdoors, you'll find it all at Sportsman's Guide. Shop sportsmansguide.com today. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. Nomad is proud to be a supporting sponsor of the National Wild Turkey Federation and their podcast hosted by my longtime buddy, Fred Bird. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation.